Welcome to Tales of the Bourbon King, the podcast that delves into the fascinating, often dark world of George Remus, the infamous king of the bootleggers during Prohibition-era America. I'm your host, cultural historian and biographer Bob Batchelor. In this podcast, we'll explore the life and true crimes of George Remus, a man who rose from humble beginnings to become one of the wealthiest and most powerful men in Jazz Age America. But his rise to the top was not without its share of scandal and violence. And Remus's story is both complex and fascinating. But there are no heroes. As a matter of fact, Remus's story is so extraordinary and unbelievable that many people thought my book, The Bourbon King, The Life and Crimes of George Remus, Prohibition's Evil Genius, was fiction. Each episode of Tales of the Bourbon King We'll take a deep dive into Remus's life and the historical context in which he lived, the people that were surrounding him, the cities he traveled through, and the crimes that he committed. This podcast mixes history, biography, and culture with true crimes and 1920s analysis to provide the full examination of the infamous Whiskey Baron and his epic life. From his earliest days as a successful lawyer to his foray into the world of bootlegging and organized crime, we'll explore every facet of Remus's journey and the impact that it had on American history. And believe it or not, we're still feeling this every single day in modern America. But Tales of the Bourbon King isn't just about Remus himself. We'll also examine the broader social, political, and cultural landscape of the era. This will provide a rich and nuanced understanding of the Prohibition era, and we'll look at the gun-toning henchmen, thugs, and diamond-dripping malls who made up the Jazz Age underworld, as well as the sometimes crusading, sometimes devious G-men and influential political figures who were tasked with jailing Remus, even as they lined their pockets with his illicit wealth. So, rap three times on the speakeasy door, Order a bourbon or gin and listen to the epic life and crimes in Tales of the Bourbon King. Appreciate you being here. I could have lasted two hours longer, George asserted, nearly breathless, waterlogged after five hours in the chilly Lake Michigan water. At 30 years old, George Remus was older than most competitive swimmers. Perhaps many people considered him too old to compete. But the pharmacist turned lawyer had mouths to feed and a full-time career, so he remained a true amateur. He relied on toughness to make up for the gap between his age and that of his rivals. What drew Remus into the water that day? He had entered the Chicago Athletic Club's 10-mile swimming marathon, a grueling course that ran from the Chicago Yacht Club to the South Shore Country Club. Although it was August, temperatures dropped and continued to drop the morning of the race. A lilting wind turned steady, creating choppy conditions out on the lake. The weather, always a wild card in the Windy City, turned what swimmers thought was an achievable distance race into a pure endurance test. Even if the conditions were perfect, these swimming marathons 
were exhilarating but brutal for the combatants. A 10-mile mile water race, like a marathon on land, demanded a combination of stamina and mental resolve. This is the kind of contest that George Remus excelled at. Unlike their counterparts, running, swimmers faced extreme dangers. They battled waves, they battled wind, and near hypothermia took a toll on their bodies. Physical breakdown could happen in an instant, obliging race officials to watch the competitors from lifeboats constantly having to oversee the competitors and save them in case of an accident. Life and death literally hung in the balance. E.P. Swatek, the contestant pulled out of the water right before Remus, reportedly, according to a reporter, faced, quote, imminent danger. He survived because two men from shore had jumped in to save him. The reporter said that the heroes, quote, helped keep him above water until a boat fished him out. Swatek lived but came out of the water in what observers called delirious and in a weak condition. Several others in that race had to be treated by medical personnel after being hoisted out of the frigid Lake Michigan. And of course, in this instance, Remus had been one of the last swimmers pulled from the drink. Actually, he didn't even want to get out of the water. He was urged by race officials as the weather continued to sour and more contestants dropped out. These type of endurance swimming contests, they were George's specialty. Like he had done in so many of his other pursuits, Remus outlasted the competition. He, ex he exhibited both extraordinary toughness and extraordinary determination. A sports reporter who covered the race wrote, quote, the big fella, although making little progress, was still in first class condition. George himself said afterward, I would not have given up the race if it were not for the judges calling me in and taking me into their boat. Contending that he was ready for two or three more hours, he explained to the owner of one of the launches nearby if he would have just brought some sandwiches, which I ate in the water. He claimed everything would have been fine. Remus's feelings about athletic competition mirrored the way he addressed other points in his life. Determination, resolve, endurance, the ability to outfight, outlast, and outthink other people. And so looking at Remus's experiences as what we'd call today almost an extreme athlete, you can see Remus perhaps would have uh, been attracted to um, American Ninja Warrior or other extreme sports by the way that he attacked physical activity 
in the late 1800s and the early 1900s. Athletic competition, particularly swimming and water polo, became a centerpiece of George's life. He joined a series of sporting associations, and these were clubs that um, competed against one another. One of the clubs that he joined was called the Chicago Athletic Association. And a person's rank in these clubs gave them standing and reputation, not on, only on the local and regional scale, but in na national athletic scenes. So Remus traveled the country participating in events, even as his professional life flourished and his personal life became more complicated. In September 1907, a month after the Chicago swim, five hours where they had to beg him to get out of the water, Remus qualified for the Open Water Swimming National Championship, which was going to be held in St. Louis, meaning that the competition was going to happen in the Mississippi River. The Windy City sent a strong contingent driven by civic pride and, of course, during that era, a desire to prove that Chicago men were tougher than others from other cities. Now, why would somebody want to watch this kind of event? I guess the same way people used to enjoy watching American gladiators or like watching American ninja warriors now. Their ex spectators were attracted to the novelty of these long-distance swimming races. But there was also a larger cultural piece. This was the era, after all, of Teddy Roosevelt kind of giving the Americans a role model for something that he liked to call the strenuous life. And so the idea was that somebody lived a more fulfilling life if they were engaged in strenuous activities. And for people who were watching these swimming races, they were drawn to the danger that participants faced in attempting these really uh, outlandish feats by normal circumstances. So at a race, crowds would line the bank and cheer the men on, particularly if they were from the same hometown. More adventurous fans climbed aboard boats or skiffs to get a closer view of the action actually from the water. And there were judges and other um, kind of overseers watching the swimmers as they as they swam in these events so that they uh, didn't cramp up or anything happen where their lives would be put in imminent danger. And these vessels that fans would take out into the water in many respects became makeshift emergency ferries. Often spectators helped fish besieged swimmers out of the river essentially saving their lives because there's no way that a rowboat could have reached the contestants fast enough. So the grueling 10-mile championship took place on a swift stretch of the Mississippi River and ended under the city's Eads Bridge. Reporters covered the event and for weeks afterward told stories and, and published stories about failed attempts and daring rescues. Several men nearly lost their lives attempting, attempting to win this national championship. Remus was not one of the first 10 finishers, 
but again demonstrated his grit by entering the race and competing against athletes who were, in many cases, a decade younger than he was. The exertion of staying in the water for hours and the determination to compete in these kind of long-distance races, they were really at the, the heart of Remus's evolving physical and mental condition, both in his early life and as he grew into his later years, these ideas about physicality and about mental rigor and mental toughness would stay at the center of his worldview. His life had never been easy, but these endurance tests seemed to give him a lot of solace and make him very uh, happy with that combination of physicality and resilience. Across the United States, this swimming craze, especially these long distance races, raged in the early 1900s. They were called marathon swims, and they were popular in many parts of the country, particularly in the Great Lakes regions, because the Great Lakes are so central to the lives of people who live in the Midwest and the upper Midwest. One of the most famous of these marathon swims was the annual Chicago Daily News Marathon Swim, which took place in Lake Michigan. That was a 10-mile race, drew thousands of spectators and competitors each year. And, of course, cold water temperatures, high waves, strong currents. Swimmers faced challenging conditions, struggled to complete the race, and many just could not do it. This is probably most akin to today's thinking, like the Ironman challenge. Many enter, few actually are able to, to complete the grueling course. So the marathon swims caught the United States uh, spectator population, um, caught their fancy in the early 1900s. There were others, races held in both the Atlantic Ocean and the Great Lakes, but what centered the central points were that despite the length and difficulty, they tested the limits of human endurance and physical ability. And so why was sports, why were extreme sports interesting to a man who at 30 is competing against 18, 19, 20-year-olds who are tr have trained their whole lives, who would be considered by today's standards professionals? Why is Remus the amateur, the older amateur going up against professionals and people much younger than him? Because he was determined to demonstrate his mental and physical ability to endure hardship. He was able to displace his thinking from the physical torture, really, that he was uh, strain that he was putting on his body. And so what do these tasks, what do these contests tell us about George Remus? They not only tell us, but they demonstrate to us how important these traits were to him and how central they would be as he continued to develop into America's top bourbon baron. 
Thank you for joining me on Tales of the Bourbon King, the podcast that delves into the fascinating and often dark world of George Remus, the infamous King of the Bootleggers. Join me again next time as we explore the dark corners of the Prohibition era and continue to tell Remus's fascinating story. And let me take a brief moment to thank you for your support. We are all time crunched and have a multitude of ways of filling our time, so I'm deeply appreciative. And I would be really happy if you'd continue following Tales of the Bourbon King. Feel free to reach out to me if you have questions or suggestions for future episodes. I'm available by email at bob at bobbachelor.com. Or you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, or Instagram. My website is www.bobbachelor.com. If you like Tales of the Bourbon King, please consider subscribing to the podcast. Also, you might like to leave a review on whichever podcast platform you prefer. Better yet, share the podcast with a friend or several. Until next time, keep your bootlegging secret and your bourbon handy. Thank you.